Welcome to The Great Asian Pushback, a series of podcasts brought to you by the Council of Asian Liberals and Democrats, or COUND. The Great Asian Pushback features stories of defiance and hope from Southeast and East Asia. Individuals, young and old, and organizations on the ground and online are assisting authoritarian regimes. There's our voices crying out for freedom and democracy. These podcasts aim to empower and inspire all of you out there who are shining the light on the darkness in this part of the world. Hello, welcome to the Great Asian Pushback, a series of podcasts brought to you by the Council of Asian Liberals and Democrats, or CALD. I'm Marites Vitug, a journalist from the Philippines, and I will be your host for this series. Disenchantment with the ASEAN, or the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, has become palpable since the coup in Myanmar in February this year. ASEAN, composed of 10 member countries, has been painfully slow and ineffective in helping resolve the Myanmar crisis. In April, it held a special summit on Myanmar and agreed on five points, including an immediate stop to the violence and a dialogue of all the parties to seek a peaceful solution to the crisis. ASEAN designated a special envoy to Myanmar in August. We have yet to see the results of this envoy's mission. Our guests today, Musokua and Wong Chen, will talk to us about the Southeast Asian Community, or SEA, a new formation that sees itself as an alternative to ASEAN. They are both founding members of SEA. Musokua is one of the most prominent women in Cambodian politics. A former member of parliament, Madam Sokoa is vice president of the opposition Cambodia National Rescue Party, which was disbanded by Prime Minister Hansen. She has been living in exile in the U.S. for more than three years. Wong Chen, a lawyer, is a member of Malaysian parliament and one of the leading figures of the People's Justice Party, the biggest party in the opposition coalition. He was chairman of Malaysian Parliament's International Relations Committee. Currently, he is chief policy advisor to the leader of the opposition, Anwar Ibrahim. Musokuwa is joining us from California, and Wong Chen is joining us from Kuala Lumpur. Welcome to the Great Asian Pushback. Hello, and thank you. And Mr. Wong Chen and Madam. Sukuwa, thank you for making time for this podcast. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, so first, I'd like to ask Madam Sukuwa, maybe just briefly, tell us about the vision of SEIA and, and how it began. How did, what triggered this? It all began in early January of this year when we were witnessing gross violations of human rights in the ASEAN countries, such as, for example, in Cambodia, uh, where I am from, uh, in Thailand, where uh, protests were going on, um, in, even in uh, um, Vietnam and Myanmar, especially, um, where the people are suffering from inequalities, from uh, um, uh, discrimination, because in, in Myanmar, for example, of the Rohingya, as we know, in Vietnam is a communist country. Uh, so we, I, we were very concerned 
about the human rights situation uh, in the ASEAN nations. I reached out to our good friend, Mr. Wong Chen, who is with us today, uh, because we belong to another uh, group, the ASEAN Parliamentarians for Human Rights, because we are legislators. And we reached out and we shared the same concern. And it all started from there. So our vision is a vision of a Southeast Asia community where we put human rights, freedoms, liberties, equality, justice first, not what it is today, which is for ASEAN, those issues, those values uh, totally uh, to in, in some parts of some countries, uh, is totally out of uh, questions for uh, regular citizens to even speak out uh, one word. So we see the ASEAN is in is no longer a grouping of democratic countries, governments. Uh, we needed to find a solution to ASEAN as alternative to ASEAN. So the vision is a vision that is based on uh, human rights, freedom, de uh, democratic just uh, principles, and the principle of social justice. So Mr. Wong, following up on what Madame Sokoa said, do you see SEAC as an alternative to ASEAN or simply at this point, a pressure group, a parallel group to impose, I mean, to pressure them to be, to open up and conduct and do reforms? Yes, I think we are some sort of parallel organization in the sense that we try to look at the problems that ASEAN can't solve, right? So as you all know, ASEAN has those non-interference policy and that ASEAN is very mixed in terms of the political system. Therefore, they find it very hard to have a political will to do something united and to uphold uh, good democratic practices and also, you know, social justice issues that uh, Mu has raised. Yeah, so we do have ambitions to be, uh, you know, a, a major organization of, of some influence over this this period of time. Uh, what we really want to do is we want to get to uh, the uh, democratic lawmakers and policy thinkers in the region to start thinking about an alternative to ASEAN or how to improve ASEAN from within. Um, you know, we're not really, as, as Madam Mu pointed out earlier, we're not there because of the Myanmar crisis. The Myanmar crisis is a current flashpoint. But SIEC really started just before the Myanmar crisis. Uh, so we are really concerned about structural issues that is clearly missing in ASEAN. Yeah? I mean, we even envisioned to at one point where we used the European uh, Union as a model of a Southeast Asian parliament of a Southeast Asian Court of Justice. So those basic things are in the, in the thinking of this group and that we should be working towards those kind of building blocks. Yeah? Uh, you know, having said all that, the Myanmar coup has actually indirectly done a lot of work for us in exposing what has been wrong in ASEAN for the last decade or so. Madam Mu coming from Cambodia obviously has deep concerns about Cambodian politics. And uh, the, the situation, the, the genocide in Rohingya, genocide in Myanmar, all this seems to show that, Myanmar, uh, that ASEAN itself is completely failing because of the non-interference policy and the complete lack of political will to defend and safeguard and promote democracy in the region. So, uh, Madam Sokoa, in this regard, uh, eventually, because SEAC's just starting, do you eventually see SEAC as 
a replacement for ASEAN because Mr. Wong talked of like a model after the European Parliament. Uh, do you see that in the long term? If we talk about that, that um, the time frame, we're not as optimistic as having uh, the South, this new organization, the Southeast Asia uh, Community SIAC, established within the, in the next two or three years. We have a uh, we give ourselves a, a long term. Uh, because about 10 years, let's talk about 10 years, because we want to um, have, we know that in order to get to the model that we have, for example, having a um, Southeast Asia uh, parliament like the European Parliament, uh, Court of Justice, uh, even a, um, a tribunal for economic, for um, the result, uh, business issues, for example, we have to give ourselves about 10 years. However, what, it is, what is important is not to uh, exclude uh, civil society. We are very, very concerned about the voices of the peoples of Southeast Asia and putting aside the violations of human, the gross violations of human rights. Um, we have concern also about the economic inequality within the region itself. For example, how can you, Cambodia, uh, that just came, that came out from genocide, uh, compete with um, Singapore? How can, for example, uh, the, uh, we compete for um, professional skills? Uh, this is not, this is because uh, the, ASEAN that is supposed to be providing um, this community of equality and justice and not competition between nations, uh, but to bring along the uh, people, the peoples that are communities that have less opportunities uh, to have equal opportunity. So within the last, the, since the existence of ASEAN, the gap between the rich countries, the more developed countries, the least developed countries, and countries that are um, led by um, dictators or communist countries, um, this economic um, uh, lack, gap is uh, growing. Um, and that is one of the issues that we want to uh, tackle. Uh, for example, the issue of migrant workers in ASEAN is a huge population. Therefore, we have to engage those uh, uh, players, civil society, migrant workers, the women um, in, our, in our vision. So we have been um, meeting with um, broad with civil society organizations um, as well in order to uh, get this vision more of a vision for and by the peoples of Southeast Asia. So, Mr. Wong, the, a very big problem posed uh, by Madame Sopua is the great inequality among countries here in Southeast Asia. So, what do you should should uh, say up do, or what do you want ASEAN to do at this point in time? I think it's very important to look at ASEAN. Or, or Southeast Asia region as one, you know, one united economic center 
of course, you have Singapore on the one end, you have a country like Laos on the other extreme, right, in terms of development and, and uh, access to capital and stuff like that. Uh, even the laws are also not very clear in terms of commercial laws and, and issues. So what, what we really want to do in the big broad picture in terms of economic reality is to get this dialogue going and the, the, the concept of uh, a one regional block, if we're producing services, perhaps some of the high-end services will come from the more developed countries, but there must be a concerted effort to transfer knowledge and technology down to the less developed countries. And also, you know, manufacturing obviously uh, is the lower end of the services chain. So manufacturing will then move towards the less developed countries, but some co-ownership between ASEAN investors uh, should be the priority. You know, at the moment, ASEAN always open up their doors to Japan, China, US, or European Union for investment. I think we really need to look at ASEAN as a block and how to increase the intra-ASEAN investment there and also ensure at the very, very uh, you know, basic level, ensure that equality of wealth is shared, not just between the countries, but also within the countries. So we try to use uh, economic platform as a key driver towards the vision of a full democracy in Southeast Asia. So I think these two have to go hand in hand, the, the economic issue and also the, uh, the uh, issues on human rights and democracy overall. So just to follow up, Mr. Wong, so you think this policy of non-interference also slows down even economic initiatives? We all know that the chronic issue in Southeast Asia, most Southeast Asian countries at least, is the lack of uh, respect for democracy and lack of transparency and accountability. And all these have very, very negative impact on economy. You know, the Malaysian economy, for instance, is strong, has been strong since the 90s. But, you know, we've been slowing down since the year 2000. And that coincides with the idea that, uh, you know, corruption is endemic and that, uh, you know, uh, governance is low. So we all know there's a direct impact. I mean, in other countries, it's quite, it's much more obvious, right? So we do have to focus on this correlation between economic sharing and also political awakening or political opening. So democracy is an essential element in every country that is successful in the world. So I hope that the uh, lawmakers will, will be more receptive to this kind of ideas, that we need political change as well as economic improvement. Um, Madam Sukua, earlier you mentioned you've reached out to civil society groups. So do you see SEAC as a coalition of civil society groups in Southeast Asia? Or is there such an existing coalition already? Oh, we have to use this asset so that uh, in Southeast Asia, there are, uh, there are coalitions, there are networks, there are groups at the local level, at the grassroots level. Uh, for example, in the Philippines, you, your grassroots, uh, your networks at the grassroots are totally, totally, there's a strong base for each community. Uh, so, uh, but in other parts of uh, Southeast Asia, for example, uh, in Laos uh, or in Cambodia or in Brunei, for example, don't forget Brunei, which also is a part of uh, the ASEAN uh, community, um, we, there is uh, less of an opportunity for grassroots uh, to networks to to be part of policy making, of decision making. So we want to uh, create a Southeast Asia community, whereas um, the grassroots, 
the civil society, the um, community-based organizations bring up the issues. Uh, and then they are part, not to put a, like the model of ASEAN is you have the ASEAN of the, with the, the uh, government officials speaking, talking among themselves, with themselves, to themselves, and at themselves, and then have uh, the civil society forum set aside. We do not want this type of model. It is for the peoples of um, Southeast Asia. Therefore, the uh, vision, therefore, the, starting from the, uh, the establishment of the principles, the visions, and so on, we start with consultation, and that's what we have been doing. So uh, ASEAN has not been doing consultations with civil society groups, um, Madame Sokoa? They have been, but it is more of a parallel uh, channel, whereas, uh, you know, and in some in some uh, countries, for example, in Cambodia, again, I, I state Cambodia and not just Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, for example, and then even Singapore, uh, Malaysia is, is more open. Uh, you talk about civil society, uh, where, where is it? Where there is no such a thing as freedom of expression. There is not such a thing as freedom of assembly. There is um, not such a thing as a um, opposition, a loyal opposition that is not threatened by the ruling party. So therefore we have to engage uh, the peoples at the grassroots level and to empower them. Uh, this is the model that we want to have for the SEAC, uh, learning from the failure of ASEAN in establishing that sense of ownership of the grassroots communities. Yeah, Mr. Wong, uh, many, I think, of the founding members of SEAC, a number of them are no longer uh, with government or no longer elected officials, but like you, you're still a member of parliament. What is the advantage of SEAC over the other civil society coalitions in Southeast Asia? Well, SEAC at the moment is all, all politicians, or former politicians, or current politicians. So we do have that slight advantage. As you know, uh, Maritas, in, in, real, in reality, politicians work in a different, different way. They work in networking. It's true. Uh, many decisions are, in fact, made on personal relationships. Uh, you know, while there are overarching issues on policies overall, uh, everything really hinges a lot on personal touch and personal relationship. So what we have in SIAC is that our members, the founding members, are all politicians of high repute, right? And they do have a long and wide network. So we have been engaging uh, current members of parliament who are legislators. Uh, some of them are, in fact, from the government side even, not just opposition members. <laughs> so I think that's the real strength and difference between SIAC and most CSOs. CSOs are usually the, the people who are not really politicians. We are mostly politicians at the moment. Of course, Madam Mu has uh, intentions to bring in the CSO at a big level, but I think uh, both the politicians and CSO can work in different ways through their different network system. And I think that's, that's going to be uh, more effective because I don't think SIAC is really a, a powerful organization per se. Its power is really in the network, which is informal and sometimes unseen. Yeah. So uh, just a follow up, Mr. Wong, what feedback or 
did you get from um, members of government that you've reached out to? You've mentioned to them about SEAC and your concerns. I think uh, most of them are agreeable at many, many levels that ASEAN is just not working. Now, in particular for Malaysian uh, lawmakers and also Indonesian lawmakers, where Islam is the uh, main religion. And what they've seen through the Rohingya crisis is still a very big issue for them. So most of them will privately or even, uh, you know, even in some circumstances, officially state their position about, about uh, the, the shortcomings of ASEAN. So my interaction is very clear. They do want uh, changes. Whether they are under the umbrella of SIEC or not, uh, that remains to be seen because most people are posturing, as you know, politicians do that. So, uh, but we did manage to get some uh, existing members of parliament, including my boss, Dato Sriano Ibrahim, to join in the SIEC uh, event. So I can say that uh, there is a lot of ground support for this kind of thing in Malaysia and Indonesia in particular, uh, in regards to Rohingya issue. Uh, but uh, I would say that, you know, from learning from my other colleagues at SIAC, even in Thailand, there are issues like that. that. People are very keen. So we do get a sense that it is fully supported by a lot of uh, legislators. Whether they come out formally or not, that's not an issue. So, Madam Sukowa, let's turn our attention a bit to the flashpoint now, the current flashpoint, Myanmar. Although it was not the main trigger for SEA, where in what way is ASEAN deficient? Uh, how come it's, it's turning out to be ineffective? And what can SEAC do to help push the process to ease the crisis in Myanmar? First of all, ASEAN has to definitely um, delete this non-interference culture uh, policy. And this non-interference policy uh, is actually a very safe shelter for the junta, for the military, for the dictators. And it's obviously that um, is as ASEAN is uh, going to be in the long, in a, even starting from now in the short run, going to destroy itself. It will lose its own legacy. It will lose its own legitimacy. Uh, we cannot. And especially um, the crisis in Myanmar right now, right now, since February, uh, now we are at what, uh, September, uh, every single day, lives are being uh, not just uh, wasted, but uh, in the most atrocious way. Uh, is, the, is genocide going, is uh, bombing uh, going on? How can ASEAN, uh, even can cannot even start with the uh, its own principle of a peace, of um, of harmony and stability. How can you talk talk about a, an association that uh, promotes peace, harmony, and a, a one community when the members of the communities are being slaughtered, uh, slaughtered, and you uh, and we wait and wait. This is totally not acceptable. We are not just talk, talking about an alternative uh, to ASEAN. We are talking about an, um, the nations, as the whole nation, uh, the United Nations as well. 
um, do we have to stop the uh, the lives, the atrocity? Um, we have to respond in the, by taking by using inter international laws, by putting the lives of the people first in terms of uh, where is, um, how is Myanmar going to be represented at the UN? This is a crisis right now. Um, and from one crisis to the next, that means more and more lives wasted and more, um, and that um, the spillover of, the refu of refugees from Myanmar to, uh, to Thailand again and again, uh, I come from Cambodia. There was a spillover of refugees from Cambodia during the genocide years in, from 75 to 79 in Cambodia. Uh, I'm part of the refugee uh, populations that from uh, 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 that crisis, the Vietnam War. So you repeat, history repeats itself while ASEAN uh, continues to uh, uh, play around with that uh, shield for the uh, dictators and for uh, to to continue to grab and to the power in the most Ill, uh, illegitimate way. It, um, it has to stop. Yeah. How about you, Mister? I I just want to know your thoughts as well on this great crisis facing us, ASEAN. It's it, Myanmar. What are your thoughts on how to move uh, ASEAN, or at least? pressure ASEAN further into moving? I think it's very clear now that ASEAN has taken way too long to, to try to resolve anything or make any headway at all. As you know, the, 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 you know, the coup happened in, in early February, uh, late January. And it took ASEAN three months just to convene a meeting, to come out with their five-point charter, right? And after that, they took another three months to implement the five-point charter. I mean, that's six months gone down the drain. And after the meeting in, in, uh, with the junta, you know, ASEAN still hasn't met, the envoy hasn't even met the opposition yet. I mean, this is just not the way to go. And I think the world is, is wrongly placing a lot of efforts or at least placing the, the uh, you know, asking ASEAN to carry out the solution. The world, the United Nations in particular, have to do a parallel engagement. Even countries like European Union has a lot of trade and, and, uh, and, you know, services and trade in, in Myanmar should also make those efforts. You can have unilateral efforts. We have Malaysian companies there. We have Singaporean companies there. These countries need to make a unilateral uh, situation because in order to protect their investments, they actually need a stable Myanmar. And that is, goes the same to China even. China is a major investor there. I don't think they want to see political instability to continue or God forbid, a civil war to break out. So therefore, I think we have to appeal to everyone, not just say ASEAN solve this problem because ASEAN is just not doing it. So the moment the United Nations take an effort of their own, countries unilaterally who have invested in, in Myanmar take unilateral efforts as well, then you'll start to see ASEAN getting a lot of pressure to finally move faster. So I think those are the things that we should look at. Yeah, I think for the final question for both of our guests, Madam Sopua, why are you hopeful about SEAC? What makes you hopeful? Hopeful because we believe in freedom. We believe in the liberties. We believe in the dignity of our people. We believe in the basic principle, democratic principles. The people have to have the right to speak, the right, especially the right to you 
uh, elect their own representatives. I am hopeful because uh, as you can see, the people in Myanmar, the people in Thailand, the people uh, even in, in Cambodia, we are fighting from exile, uh, but we will never, we will not give up that um, the, the values that we cherish so much, which is freedom, liberties, justice, and democratic principles. The spirit of, to fight for, uh, for the people of the Philippines, for example, uh, it may be at this moment uh, because of COVID-19, uh, yeah, we're going to see people out in the streets, but it does not mean that people uh, uh, have given up the fight for justice. It is about the dignity of our people. And I think that uh, this sense of common uh, fight, the fight for freedom in the region, uh, the spirit is still there. Uh, Mr. Wong, why are you hopeful about SEAC? Okay. Um, yeah, to me, this SEAC is a vision at the moment. You know, we don't really have a, a, a very strong organization, but that could change very quickly when we get uh, more funding. But it's a vision that is absolutely unstoppable. Because, you know, it may take, uh, you know, 10 years, as, as Madam Wu pointed out. It could take up to 20 years. It doesn't really matter. The next generation is going to take this on and continue the process of change within ASEAN. In the same way that the European Union started in the 1950s, and they only see proper fruition of it in the 1990s. That took a 40-year journey uh, for, for the Europeans, right? Why I'm really, really hopeful is because SIAC is inevitable. Economies in this region will prosper because fundamentally, uh, the ability of the people in Southeast Asia on commerce and being having this hard work and a real respect for education, they're all investing in economic betterment. Every single ASEAN country is doing it. Therefore, with economic betterment comes prosperity. When prosperity comes, political awakening will also follow. So it's all purely a question of timing. The hope is real because these are the realities we see. You can go back to even Philippines, the last 10 years, you've seen major economic growth. You know, So all this brings out the reality that democracy will take root, essentially. The region also has to realize, and we are quickly realizing, that we are now in the crisis and ongoing geopolitical quarrel between the US and China. So that there's a real push amongst most lawmakers that we need to unite more as a region and to best work out a structure that is based on legal terms, no longer wishy-washy, non-interfering stuff. You know, we need binding stuff, we need legal stuff, and we need to do this, otherwise ASEAN risks being divided into two or three camps even. Those who are pro-China, those who are pro-US, those who are stuck in between. So if we don't unite soon, and, and the lawmakers don't believe in this, uh, then we're in trouble. We're really in trouble. So I don't see, uh, you know, when it comes to this kind of geopolitical level, there is incentive to improve. And I see economic growth in the next 10, 20 years. Therefore, it's abs I'm absolutely sure if we have to put a bet on this, SIAC will happen. It's just a question of time. The faster for the better, of course, for all of, all of us. Yes, I think I, I have to ask you, both of you, one more final, final question. It's maybe since we have listeners and viewers in the region as well as outside the region, would you have any words to share or a message? I mean, to reach out to them and just... Let us know whether they're civil society groups or politicians out there listening to this. So, Madam, can you please start and ask and, and share your message? 
And you would say, as a woman from Southeast Asia with uh, diff, uh, uh, being uh, with the women's movement in, in my country, in Cambodia, uh, watching uh, women from the rights fields uh, working their Day, day in and day out and to put their children, their girls, for example, into uh, in school, give, give them the best education. I think that um, Southeast Asia, it, because of our culture, our, our diversity, I think it, that is the potential. That is the spirit of Southeast Asia that we want to promote. We want to cherish. And then we want a Southeast Asia that belongs to our peoples. And I, I we stress it very strongly, peoples of Southeast Asia, the respect for the ethnic minorities, the indigenous communities, uh, yeah. and then the protection of our environment uh, to be um, a, a, a region that is not just prosperous, but the, a region that can lead the way in the sense that we will share, we share the differences, we share, we cherish uh, the differences, and uh, we put, uh, again, human rights first, freedoms and liberties of our people in order for, uh, to, in, to ensure that our youth will have a part, and we we'll can keep the environment that, um, what is left of Southeast Asia in terms of the environment in terms of our forest, for example. It is, that is why we, we have to work hard to find a way out of this ASEAN uh, the fastest possible. Mr. Wong, some final words, a message from you. Normally I would tell anyone that listens to this and especially the youth uh, to most importantly, to educate yourself properly, uh, to be extremely critical of everything be critical of your government, the media, but more importantly, to fight for transparency and accountability in all your lawmakers that you elect into office. I think those reforms can happen within yourself. And if you take that position and you can uh, encourage other people to take the same position, hopefully then the, the nature of politics in Southeast Asia will become more democratic over the period. And, you know, just carry out the reforms you want for your respective country, of course. But at the same time, engage your neighbors, travel, visit, exchange ideas at, at a regional basis, even at a global basis. I mean, we're facing a world where we have artificial intel intelligence challenges in the future and also climate change. This is the time uh, for the woke generation, I suppose. And we really need to believe that you can change and therefore your change is a ripple effect to change other things as well. Uh, you know, we, we in SIAC try to do our bit for our region because we love our people. We love our 650 million people here. Join us in this, in this thing so that we can at least prevent genocide, abuses of power, uh, and, and ensure that you know, there's social justice and equality for all. Thank you. Thank you very much. On that inspiring note, we will close this uh, interview to all our listeners and viewers. Thank you for keeping us company. To Madam Sukua, Mr. Wong, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for keeping us company. Keep pushing back against autocracy. Keep fighting for democracy.
The Great Asian Pushback is produced by the Council of Asian Liberals and Democrats with the support of the Friedrich Nauman Foundation for Freedom. This episode was made by Marites Vitug, Lito Arlegue, and Paolo Zamora with creative input from Jaja Hanolo, administrative assistance from Audi Frias and Chelsea Caballero, and editing by Point B Multimedia.